Welcome to Avowedcast, the fan community podcast for Obsidian Entertainment's future RPG video game titled Avowed. This is a podcast for fans by fans. We are not affiliated with Obsidian, although we'd gladly lead their way through the haunted house and stand in front for them and take all the scares because we love them. Uh, my name is Sora, and I will be your host each week as we talk about Avowed, Obsidian, uh, video gaming, and whatever else we want to talk about. Um, it's my hope to be joined each week by fans. Uh, most of the time, I, I have been so far, and you could be one of those. So listen at the end of the podcast on how you can join us. Um, we talk about everything from Aora lore, geography, cultures, other RPG games, uh, some of our wishes for the Avowed game when it comes out. Um, this week in particular, we are focused on two things. We're going to kind of touch base again with Baldur's Gate 3. Uh, early release was last week, and we have some of our cast members who've been playing through it pretty vigorously, um, and they have some impressions they want to share with you on what they think of the early release for Baldur's Gate 3. And we also wanted to kind of talk about and lay down a, a general definition on, on what is a modern role-playing uh, video game and what does that entail and what do, what do you want to see when you pick up a game that says on the front this is an RPG game. Um, so we're going to talk about all those things and then we'll end with a few listener emails. Descend into the void or do not. I care neither way. But know that within its depths do all things encounter their endings. Okay, welcome to Aboutcast this week. Uh, we are going to focus our discussion today a little bit on the definition of a role-playing game. I thought it might be interesting to get everybody's take on if they were going to set about defining what a video game is, if they could do that, um, that's an RPG, what would your definition be? So we're going to talk a little bit about that today, but first I want to give everybody a chance to just quickly go around, introduce yourselves, uh, and... Uh, if you have been playing a game lately, tell us what it is. Um, so first, I'm Sora. I'm the host, and I'm still trudging through Pillars 1. I'm almost finished with it on the Switch. I've played it before, but this is my second full playthrough. Uh, Jed Mandu here. Uh, I have been... Oh my god, I've been playing so many things, y'all. Um, Baldur's Gate 3, early access. I've got about like 20 hours in that already. Um uh, uh, let's see. I've, I've actually been playing Baldur's Gate 1 a little bit on the Switch as well, um, which the controls are honestly really good. I'm very surprised about that, but uh, we can get into that later. Um, oh, and Hades also on the Switch because um, I'm a sucker for a roguelike and also for anything Supergiant Games does. And uh, it's pretty much like the platonic ideal of a Supergiant game. I love so it. Hades um, is roguelike, correct? I haven't yeah, played it. Yeah, it's so roguelike, it's... but with like a, a an evolving story every time you you know die. And on the Switch, what made you choose to play it on the Switch? Uh, the Switch is just kind of like my chill out console, you know. Like, <laughs> I I spend probably a couple hours every night just hanging out in my recliner with a drink and my Switch, and uh, so you know it, it's it's nice to have. Uh, I, I think I think Hades is sort of the the perfect kind of game for that. You know, it, it's very pick up and play. Like you can leave off wherever and just come right back in. And like, it, you know, it, it, it's it's a nice. I won't say it's a laid back game. It's definitely not. You know, it's it's very like twitchy. Um, 
you know, you have to have your, your wits about you, but, um, but it's, it, you know, you can pick it up, you can put it down. It, it, it's, it's just good like that. It's definitely all the rage. I've been hearing, hearing quite a bit about it uh, in the community. So I haven't jumped into it yet, but might do that soon. Jesse, what have you been doing? Uh, I've been um, still working my way through Morrowind because that is a, an enormous game. But um, besides that, I've recently I finished Sekiro. So I'm, I'm done with that. I have all the... Hey, congrats. Yeah, yeah that, was a, that was an uphill battle. Um, uh, I recently started a new game in the Outer Worlds, going for like a little bit of a gunslinger build, having a, lot, uh, having a fun time finding all the... Looking as much like a cowboy as I possibly can. Um, and uh, I'm really looking forward to getting to the Perils of Gorgon DLC that just came out. <clears throat> so um, I'm bouncing between the Outer Worlds and Morrowind at the moment. Every now and then I, I play some Fall Guys or something like that just to have fun. We have, uh, we have Kiwi with us. Kiwi is new joining us this time. Kiwi, have you been playing any games lately? Yeah, in, in anticipation of PG3, I bought Disco Elysium, played it once through, once through, and then I started a new save on Pillars 2. And didn't finish it because PG3 came already, and then I've been playing that. Right, so you've, you've already jumped in, and I guess you're addicted at this point. Well... It's early access. <laughs> I, but I mean, like, um, the thing is, it's I'm new to Larian games. Like, it's oh, okay. I, I'd recommend, like, I recommend this early access if you're going to play the actual game because you'll get used to controls and other stuff. It's very weird uh, if you come from a uh, background of isometric CRPGs and go to this uh, the original scene style it's like it's like very three-dimensional right like it's not you know you don't you don't just have this isometric map laid out in front of you you have to sort of manipulate the camera and yeah it's like dragon age kind of that kind of feel kind of yeah i mean i haven't played it yet so i've just been watching watching some of the playthrough uh parenthesis is with us again today parenthesis what have you been up to you've been playing any games yes i've been playing six ages again it's a uh turn-based narrative strategy game that is set in the fantasy world of Garantha. And it's basically a kind of Bronze Age world that is, if Lord of the Rings is what you get when you set a linguist to make a fantasy world, Garantha is what you get when you set an anthropologist to make it. It's weird, it's strange, sometimes it makes no sense, and it's wonderful. Oh, this looks, I'm looking at the Steam page right now, this looks really cool. Yeah, it's the spiritual successor to a game called King of Dragon Pass, which is, well, basically the same kind of game, just set many years in the future in a different culture. So playing them back to back is an interesting experience because they're different cultures and you need to think in different ways to play each of the games. I'm definitely going to have to pick this up. This looks really cool. Uh, I love the sort of storybook, like the sort of painterly art style. That that really appeals to me. It's it's like it's almost like a like Water illuminated cards. manuscript kind of uh, artwork. Yeah, yeah, it, it's great. Either of them are great. Great. The question is, do you like kind of East Asian, or East, not East Asian, but kind of East Asia nomads, or do you like Vikings? That is what you need to decide <laughs> when you pick up the first game. 
So we wanted to spend a little time with some of our uh, guests today who have played some of the early access for Baldur's Gate 3. I'm curious because I'm very interested in jumping in as well. Um, early access, we talked about this before for Baldur's Gate 3. You still pay the full price for the game on Steam, but you get to play around up until I guess like level four and you get to experience a lot of uh, the beginning of the game. You get to uh, experience the play style, but you're also helping Larry in with you know, figuring out some of the issues. And then the final release is expected sometime next year, possibly even this time next year. We don't really know. Um, so two of you, I know Kiwi and Jed Mandu have both been playing the game. So I'm going to pass the torch to you guys. I kind of want to know, it, should I wait? Or is this a good time to jump in? So it depends on what experience you're after, I'd say. Um... It definitely has a lot of early access issues. Um, mostly, they're mostly aesthetic issues, honestly. I think, like, and also some control issues. Like, the camera likes to get hung up on the environment sometimes. Um, and uh, there's like some weird textural issues. Like, there's this one. There's this wizard character in the game who has a beard, like a pretty short, like cl close cropped beard, and um, it's like sometimes the beard just kind of devolves into these like horrible little patches of, of fluff on his face. And it just looks really goofy. Um, so if, you know, I know that aesthetics aren't everything, but it can be a little immersion breaking. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like that. What was that game? The console game, I think where, or no, I think it was also PC. There was a game where they released for the whole skin on the face was, was off and it was just these eyeballs. Do you remember that one? Uh, was that an Assassin's Creed game? Was that yes, Assassin's it was Assassin's, Assassin's Creed. Creed. Oh my God, it gave my Unity. My, yes, it gave my daughter nightmares forever. <laughs> she will <laughs> never play that again. There's no question about it. Oh, and sometimes uh, character models it, like so. Larian games have this sort of ragdoll corpse system, where character models will ragdoll for like a second or two after you kill them, and the ragdolls like to um dance a little bit sometimes Interesting. and sort of turn into what i like to affectionately call flesh tents um that sounds interesting <laughs> yeah it's some horrible twitching sometimes yeah um but but okay actual content wise though i'm kind of loving this game I mean, it, it's it's definitely very larian it's it's very sort of offbeat and like It'll take you by surprise sometimes, um, and it'll certainly—it's certainly not afraid to sort of grab your hand and go, "Okay, this is happening now." Um, it—it it really feels like in this game your actions have consequences, and I always appreciate that. Um, you, any anyone can die. Um, you can kill anyone if you want to, um, which of course doesn't a good game make, but um, the consequences are there, and you know. Um, cutscenes will play out differently depending on whether certain characters are alive and whatnot. I'm trying to I'm trying to be as general about this as possible because I don't want to spoil anybody on anything. But yeah, I've, all I've really heard so far is that that some some of the enemies are super easy, like the Minotaurs in that right, Kiwi. Oh, uh, so. <laughs> yeah, so easy. It's like I've never beat them. 
<laughs> I was just I saw your comments before that that these guys are driving you crazy. Is is the difficulty, Kiwi? Do you think the difficulty is just right in the game? Is it too hard? Is it too easy in certain parts? Uh, it's it's most of most of the game with the difficulty is okay. There are some encounters that are definitely overtuned. The some monsters have too many liberties uh, with their abilities and how many times they can attack on their turn. Um, the game overall, it's well, it's going to the right directions. Don't get me wrong, I'm enjoying it, and well, definitely not polished. There's like all the time you see some bug or like little things that uh, that may, might annoy some people. The thing that annoys me is that I like to read books in the game, and the books at the moment are mostly it's like a, it's some kind of a description in brackets, not yeah. real text. Uh, so it's not yeah. the lore and the actually in-game content's not fleshed out, I guess. Yeah, it's like I try I tried to like collect many many books and then start reading them, and then I was pretty. Uh, put down by the it's just uh descriptions yeah i do hope they take another pass on that because that was one of the things that i really liked about about uh baldur's gate one was just the sheer amount of text there is you know the sheer amount of information that you can get about the world by cracking a book um but larian does this a lot actually they did this with divinity uh original sin too where a lot of the books were like you know, here, you have a description of what's in the book rather than the actual book. And I, man, that's not my thing. I, I, I very much prefer how, uh, how Obsidian uh, yeah. handles that, where it's yeah, like... Pillars like, have a lot of good books, but yeah. I think Pillars, they, they have a slight problem. Maybe it's that I find there's not enough different books that when you enter some house, uh, you yeah. might find same book two, three times. <laughs> yeah and that's super weird isn't it because it's like why why do you need all these you know like why why does why why does one person need the same book three or four times so if you've played D, which i know jed mandu has i don't know kiwi if you've played much of D, this is based off the fifth edition system do we see any of that yeah we see it's like the Com combat is definitely it's turn based and it's the classes and races they are all based in fifth edition. Larian has taken some liberties, but they're not. Uh, I don't know how to word it, but they are there. They're changes, but they're not so apparent. They're faithful, right? Like like they've changed some things, but the spirit of the class uh, of the of certain classes and certain races is still there. Yeah, definitely. Like Rangers, for instance. Oh my God, I was so uh, you, uh, sorry. You might remember uh, last time we talked about Baldur's Gate. I was so worried that they were just going to take the player's handbook Ranger and just slap it into the game and call it. Oh, which would be a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, because they suck. But they do. They do suck. But, um, uh, no, Baldur's Gate three Rangers are actually viable, and thank God. Um, wow, because I love playing a Ranger. So yeah. Oh. Oh, but okay. So honestly, I think the best aspect of this game is the fact that you can be extremely creative in how you solve problems and how you solve encounters. Um, specifically, the throw and shove mechanics 
and just generally like jumping and platforming and stuff in general. Oh my God. I'm having so much fun with it. Really? I, I made a character, uh, for my, I'm mostly just like messing around with them. I'm not necessarily going to take them all the way through, but he's a wizard whose, uh, first two spells were jump and feather fall. And, um, wow, that could make an interesting conversation combination. Oh yeah. Like, cause jump triples your jumping distance and feather fall negates all falling damage. Right. Um, so it's just really cool. The battlefields are built not just horizontally, but vertically. Um, so, you know, you can gain high ground advantages from being above people. Um, so how does it handle advantage? Because in D&D, you know, there's a particular way when you have higher elevation right. or, you know, how, how did the, is it, do you see it? Is it visible or is this kind of behind the scenes that they give you that advantage? The, the math behind it is definitely there. Um, I think, and I, I, I don't necessarily have enough info to confirm this, but I think that the way it's working is um, a little bit different from the tabletop because it seems like you can sort of stack source of it, sources of advantage on top of each other. Um, like I've had instances where, uh, you know, um, uh, say I'll be like hidden and also have high ground. And that seems to further boost my chance to hit. Maybe interesting. Yeah, that that does happen. That does happen, and also on the other direction, you can have decent advantages. Yes. Yeah. And oh my god, some of them are brutal. Um, playing a race <laughs> without dark vision is really, really rough. <laughs> it's um, so exciting just to hear all of this because being a huge, being a huge D and D geek myself, I've been wanting a game where I mean, you're never going to replicate it electronically uh and it completely that just can't happen but this sure. sounds like the closest anybody's come it's it feels very D, &D especially in the sort of wackier parts i guess earlier baldur's gate games were definitely they, they had a sense of humor but that it wasn't so much reflected in the mechanics um larian is very good at basically saying okay you can you can play the game completely straight laced and just be big dude in armor with sword and just hit people really hard and that's fine you can also be a freaking like three and a half foot tall gnome who just throws potions at people and you know runs away and that's also fine um because there are certain potions that are just amazing to throw at people and useless otherwise like the sleeping potion wow i can only imagine yeah, that's that's awesome. I I'm I'm still on the fence a little bit um, with uh, plunging the sixty bucks right away. But totally um, it's a it's a big ask. Yeah, but I, I, you know I'm I'm definitely on the edge. I'm I'm just perching, so I'm probably going to make the leap at some point. Um, thanks for the impression, guys. I, I that helps me. I know it'll help any of the listeners we have who are maybe like me who are thinking: Should I do it? Should I wait? Um, what should I do? But, you know, I, we are, there is kind of, especially if you're, I think if you're experiencing a lull right now in, um, in RPG gaming, if you've, you know, if you've burned through wasteland and you burn through elder scrolls or whatever, and you're looking for something that might be something that you can jump into. So today I really wanted to get a grasp on what a role-playing game is. Um, I wanted to have a conversation with you guys. You've all played these games. 
you all have an opinion, you, you have a, a, an idea of what your ideal role-playing game is. So I kind of wanted to jump and start that discussion. Um, before we do, I looked up a little bit of the history because I didn't, you know, uh, role-playing, where did it come from? I mean, yeah, there's, there's obviously dramatics involved and things of that nature, but uh, some people have traced it as far back as 5th century BC with the ancient Greeks. They used to play a game called uh, Patea. I'm probably mispronouncing that. Um, but it was one of the first board games modeled on warfare um, in which you would take over a certain role on the battlefield and somebody else would take on a role and you would play against each other. So that kind of uh, role playing, I guess, existed quite a bit ago. Obviously, uh, within the 20th century, it has kind of exploded. I mean, there's examples before then, but you had like the 60s was the big historical reenactments uh, period. That's when Society for Creative Anachronism started. Um, of course, 1971 is the iconic uh, release of Chainmail uh, by Gary Gygax and Jeff Perrin. Um, and then, of course, in 1974, you have D&D, &D, um, and that kind of helped jumpstart uh, uh, this whole role-playing idea of taking it away, maybe slightly a little bit from the wargaming aspect um, that Chainmail was to pull it towards uh, the, what we now kind of perceive as role-play. Um, then 77 was D&D's basic edition, 89 was AD&D, and it kind of rolled from there. And of course, we have games that started to be created um, in the 70s uh, regarding role-playing, you know, everything from the very early text editions, which were multi-user dungeons. I don't know if any of you ever played MUDs before, um, but those are were some of the early role-playing games um, when I was looking them up. I looked it up in Oxford, and here's Oxford's definition of role play. It's act out or perform the part of a person or character to represent an action. Role playing was defined as the changing of one's behavior to assume a role, either unconsciously or consciously, to fill that social role and act out an adopted role. Very convoluted definition, but it's a definition. <laughs> so I went to Wikipedia, of course, because that's where the most the best one's going to be, and looked up role-playing games. So here's their definition of role-playing game. It's a game in which players assume the roles of characters in a fictional setting. Players take the responsibility for acting out these roles within a narrative through a process of structured decision-making regarding character development. And they made a real point in that Wikipedia article of clarifying that a role-playing game is different than a simulation game and that role-playing is not simply human simulation and that there's a lot more to it than that. Um, so obviously, we, we, when we're talking about it, from what I said from the history, role-playing kind of started as assuming the role of someone that you were not um, in real life. And we know now we have transformed that that whole genre of game into many split genres. Now we have everything from, uh, you obviously have tabletop role-playing, you have uh, LARPing, which is live action role-playing where players actually physically portray the characters um, uh, in real life out on a field and interact with other players who are dressed up with uh, wooden swords and such. Um, then you of course have what we're talking about today, which is 
uh, role-playing in the form of electronic media um, via computer games, PC games, uh, console games, um, things of that nature. And even within electronic media, it's amazing how many types of RPGs have split, how the definition maybe was very general in the beginning and, and kind of enveloped everything. And now we have action RPGs, which I guess an example would be Diablo. The early Diablo was one of the first. You have MMORPGs, massively multiplayer ones like Elder Scrolls Online or Warcraft. Roguelikes, which is Hades. We talked about Hades earlier. Uh, Roguelikes actually comes from a 1980s game I actually played called Rogue. Um, which oh, was played Rogue? Yeah, which was impossible, which was totally yeah, impossible. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, tactical RPGs is a totally different branch of role-playing games. That's things like XCOM, uh, Final Fantasy Tactics, Banner Saga. Um, then you have sandbox RPGs. So we know GTA, of course. Um, Elder Scrolls, uh, Oblivion, Skyrim and such, uh, Pillars of Eternity, um, and Wasteland. And I don't know, I'd have to ask you about that, if really Pillars falls in that sandbox. I don't, I guess it doesn't. Maybe the second one does more. Um, but then you have JRPGs, which are um, the Asian RPGs. Uh, Chrono Trigger was one, I think, Fan of Fantasy series. So it, it has really kind of become what started as this kind of general thing has branched into so many different things. And then if we're kind of refocusing back on the game of Valid by Obsidian, I guess then the conversation would, would twist to, you know, if you had, um, let's say that you had, let's be totally obscure here and say that you had to, travel to another planet and meet an alien species and explain to them what a role-playing video game is, that's kind of what I'm going for today is how would you define it? How would you begin to create your definition? And what would be a part of that definition? Um, what is essential to a modern role-playing game in your opinion? Anybody want to jump in? Yes. I actually have one, I think, uh, it's true for me at least. A role-playing game for me, or a computer role-playing game for me, is a game that supports both explicit and implicit role-playing. That is to say, explicit, they are, they, they are the dialogue options, they are the explicit and implicit triggers that have effects in the world, and the implicit are the stories we make up in our heads that our characters might do between the scenes, so to speak. Like, when we were small, we played with dolls and we played with action figures and they did things. It's the same here. We play with our digital avatars that are on the screens, but we imagine with them doing things they actually can't in the game. Right. Yeah, no, I, I totally get Especially with like, say, MMORPGs, that, that element is especially strong. Um, I've been playing this, uh, this game called Project Gorgon, um, which is uh, super weird off-the-wall MMORPG um, that tries its best to um, allow you as much freedom as possible as to what you want your character to be. Um, and, you know, you can do things in that game like stand around in the, in the town square and play music or recite poetry or, you know, just go off and garden for a while and, and you know, just be a master gardener or whatever. And, and I think... I think a big element of 
RPGs is that sort of freedom to define what your character is, who your character is, right? Um, and 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 that's that's the case even in RPGs that give you a role, you know. Um, say like the original Baldur's Gate. No matter who you are, you are Garion's ward, right? No matter no matter who your character is as a person, um, that's sort of the role that you step into. But you get to define everything else about them more or less. So that that's a big that's a big thing for me is you step into a role and you and you are able to change that role to make it your own, I guess. Yeah. Right to to Custom insert thing. yeah insert your own wishes i wouldn't say your own personality yeah. because sometimes you want to play something different or be different right it's very, whole. yeah it's very it's kind of a sticky subject because so many games these days have uh, the dreaded phrase rpg elements um which as best as i can uh surmise more or less just means you get to, you know, level up your character in some way, or, you know, you get to make branching decisions specifically regarding your character. Right. 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 Which, which I think is a very core concept for, for defining RPGs. Cause most games I'd say, um, let you make decisions about, I guess, sort of the world outside of your character. Um, I think the, I think the defining factor about RPGs is making decisions internal to the main character jesse what do you think uh, to me a, a role-playing game is it's about immersion more than anything else i would argue <clears throat> and allowing you to be immersed uh with player freedom so essentially <clears throat> what i would say an rpg needs to be an rpg is some way to influence and direct your character to do what you want not necessarily what you as a person would do, but what you want that specific character to be. <clears throat> so uh, that often takes the forms in stat allocation and stuff like that. Um, building a character to have certain skills or to be a certain type of person, <clears throat> whether good or neutral or diabolically evil or um if you want them to be a stoic mercenary type that seeks their own gain or if you want them to be a you know a goody two-shoes white knight type guy <clears throat> um i i say that a, an rpg requires freedom like that uh as well as uh a, a bit of a branching story not necessarily a huge branching story you know but um how much is player choice uh, important to you as for an RPG game, or do you want more freedom, or do you actually prefer? Do you think RPG games should be should it be fifty fifty the player and the game? Should the game kind of help you uh, kind of guide your narrative? Well, I'd say it's definitely like how well the game is made. Like let's say a game like Witcher, it has much less player choice as to what happens in the story, what your character is. In in the Witcher games, the character is actually very interesting, very uh, well fleshed out, and there's no problem in that. And it's a game where you play a certain role and there are some consequences to your actions. Uh, personally, I don't like games that are like completely sandbox where you have to like make up the make up your own story by yourself like 
well, let's say like Daggerfall would be in that that kind of a game, like oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I I'm gonna say like 50-50, like you wanna have some some degree of freedom, but you also wanna have a very well fleshed out story and world and a, some path and a direction, but many branchings. So parenthesis, I have a question for you. How important then is it to have statistics in an RPG? Or is it important? Things like uh, that help with relational attributes to like game objects or, or, or monsters or things like that. Is the statistical side of it important or is it not important? I think it's less important than giving the player the choices uh, to express themselves um, in the game. Uh, I mean, stats uh, give you the gives you a conflict resolution system. It gives you an, uh, an rules and structures to see if you can accomplish a task. But it is secondary to me to the to the act to the ability to play a role to to act out uh, the story. I would be totally fine with playing a statless role playing game. I mean, it would just lack that dimension of it, and it had to, um, you know, compensate in the other direction. Right. And I, personally, for me, if I was to look and say that this is a quote-unquote role-playing game, is I kind of like the the explicit and implicit definition you gave at the beginning. I feel the same way about that. I feel like it it not only means what the game is, but it's interesting because I think when someone, when you put a label on the game, look, there's two reasons. They, they're the main reason they put the label on the game is probably money, let's be honest. So if it says RPG-like or this is an RPG game, people understand that that there's a massive audience that is just drawn to that style of assuming roles, of, of playing something that you aren't. Um, but I also think that there's, it does something to the player. So for example, if I was to sit down and play Doom Eternal, or I was to sit down and play, um, I don't know, even Call of Duty, you know, I feel like that I take a different mental stance. But when I, so when I hear that a game is an RPG, it kind of, in a way, encourages me as a player to maybe be more of a participant in the story, to be more of a... Um, it, it, it implores me to put more of myself into the game. Um, and I'm sure I'll get hate mail on this, but it, it's <laughs> not that Call of Duty isn't a great game, but it forces me to use my imagination a little bit more. It forces me to, um, to play a little bit more. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it, it forces you to be immersed. And yes, there you go. And specifically enjoying the world, the story, and the characters. And so that's what that's why immersion is so important to me, because if if I'm sitting there and I'm aware that I'm playing a Call of Duty game, that's all I'm I'm playing. You know, again, like you said, not that's not that they aren't good games, but I don't play Call of Duty to be immersed. So let's roll playing voice chat. Yeah, exactly. Um <laughs> So how important is um, 
the environment though, how, how critical. So can you play? So, and there are plenty of examples. If you look up role-playing games, games that are classically role-playing, let's say take a game like, well, Rogue, if you're familiar with that, which is basically just um, ASCII characters on a screen or something like um, top-down Ultima, or I know that the, the, and those aren't the best examples because of the technology at the time. But I guess my point is how much does the name of a role-playing game, what is the expectation you bring to it as far as environment? Is the environment that important? Because in those older games, which some are still very popular, um, there is not a beautiful mountain scenescape. There is not a strong wind blowing through the trees. There is not... um, uh, this music playing in the background in the tavern, does that mean they're not role-playing games? Definitely nope. not. Uh, maybe game art style is something that could have its own episode or two. Um, I have started to dislike the way that games try to be as realistic as possible when it comes to graphics. If you played like Disco Elysium, you know that you can have really... Uh, like low graphics, but have a really, uh, let's say, a game with character. Yeah, I think it's more about sort of set design almost than it is about uh, graphic design. Like, it's not about quality necessarily. Like, I've definitely played some RPGs that don't really go for graphical fidelity. They go for sort of telling a story with the environment. Um, and, And I think... I think that that in and of itself is its own sort of, uh, you know, it's its own sort of art form um, using limited resources to, to, to imply things. Um, Exactly. Exactly. That's that, that kind of goes back to like tabletop RPGs, which I mean, you guys know, I, I haven't had the opportunity to play one, but with a tabletop, you know, you have the dungeon master who's leading you through a particular campaign or in, and certain areas that that campaign leads you through. And it's your job as the player to use your imagination to imagine what that looks like from the perspective of your character. Mm-hmm. So in-world environments, they are basically a stand-in for your imagination when it comes to tabletop-inspired RPGs. So so long as the visuals properly communicate the atmosphere and the story elements of whatever environment you're in, they're doing a good job, which is why a game like Morrowind... That exactly. Was- I was going to bring that up. I mean, yeah. Yeah. talk about yeah. atrocious. Yeah. Yeah, it, it looks awful, but yet that is an incredibly immersive game if you take the time to play it because it's because the the vibe of the area the environment that you're in is properly communicated through lighting through visuals through effects like ash storms and stuff like that so that's that's where i sit with um with visuals as far as that's concerned yeah, yeah it's high like... graphical fidelity you can have uh, uh, like there's comes like situations where you can't tell the difference between a character and the surroundings so art styles should in my opinion should serve some kind of purpose like to communicate uh, be like to clarify what's what like with high fidelity sometimes well I'm, I'm a little bit colorblind that might be also the case but sometimes I can't tell the difference between like uh, a character and his background if it's like you know some kind of a green 
character in a green background. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I think the key for RPGs is cohesion over quality, um, consistency of of um, of design over. Oh man, look how pretty this is. Although you know that definitely still has its place. You know, you art art for a video game exists in this weird sort of twilight state between something you can just appreciate as art and something that gets a job done, right? Uh, the practical versus mm. the, the um, yes. you know, versus the artistic, I suppose you could say. Um, I think that a good RPG straddles that line somewhat, uh, especially a good modern RPG. Older RPGs, you know, obviously you, you make allowances, right? You know, they, they can't all be beautiful. Um, that's not really the point of them. And, you know, they only have so many resources to devote towards making a, a, a game back then. So um, I, I, I think that I think that the art style needs to inform how you interact with the game, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah, you should be able to like tell the difference what you can interact with and what's background. Yeah. yeah, and and you have to straddle a line between immersion and and sort of the ludographic side of things, the the game game, the gaminess, you know, of it. Um, like for instance, I when I play uh, Divinity, uh, Original Sin, I always turn the um, like character outlines on because holy shit, that game is so visually busy. Otherwise, that it's really easy to lose track of where people are in space. Ideally an RPG art style helps reinforce the fact that, you know, this is an RPG and, uh, you know, it, it just sort of reinforces how you interact with the game. Basically. So we so talked about graphics. We talked about um, how, I guess the kind of universally, we kind of agree that it, that's not that while yes, for some people, the, the realism is, is great. It's not necessarily a defining characteristic of what an RPG is. Um, something that I would I would challenge you on a little bit, though, that I think has become a defining part of a quote unquote role playing game is um, character development. And I think that um, when you talk about role playing games and again, this kind of goes back to the D&D and things of that uh, tabletop nature, um, there is this expectation that a role playing game, you take on a character and as you progress this character gets stronger, this character develops, This you get to make choices as far as what this character studies or what this character does. And then that character then in, in, in turn becomes your own. But then you take a look at games like Breath of the Wild. There is no leveling in Breath of the Wild. Is that not an RPG? I, I kind of don't consider that an RPG, actually. Yeah, that, that falls under action-adventure. Yeah, I else. mean, there's... There's like a limited amount of character customization, but most of it is like, I, I like I really don't think of Legend of Zelda in general as an RPG. It just doesn't, it, you know, yeah. it, it gives you tools to solve problems. It doesn't give you, it doesn't give you tools to, like, come up with your own way to solve problems. If that makes sense. Uh, in Breath of the Wild, sometimes there are. Like... Well, okay, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But yeah. it, it's still, it's still more of like sort of the like Minecrafty kind of interaction with the world rather than yeah. a more traditional rpg 
Yeah. Uh, see, Don't okay, <laughs> I'm going to forward all the emails I get about that to you, <laughs> Jed Mandu. Bring them on. But comparing it to Minecraft, I'm going, I can't wait. That's going to get several at least. Um, so, yeah. but then, but then here's the, so like, I'm interested to hear what Kiwi and Parenthesis think. Do you think character development, do you think that leveling, quote unquote, is essential to a role-playing game? Well, I think yes, because, um, well, when you're trying to make, turn a story into a game, it's more enjoyable when you, when you see your character grow, uh, it's more, uh, it's more enjoyable and uh, reward, rewarding when, when you actually see some kind of a power creep coming. I, uh, I have to be the odd one out here, I'm afraid. Um, I don't think that uh, progress and improvement is necessarily needed for uh, character development. Uh, I would say character change is needed for character development. Uh, yeah. It might not be satisfying, but I would I'd like to see a, a, an RPG that where you might lose some stats, not just because you didn't use them, because, but because that story changes or, or mechanical changes. You took this part of the tree, well, your arms are withering, but your mental might make, means that you don't need them anymore. Or perhaps we have a time skip and we go 20 years into the future where every one of the, you know, the companions are getting old and they are losing body mass and so on, and, and their hair is turning gray. They're not getting stronger. They may be getting wiser or, or more famous and more important, but they're losing these aspects. And I think that is a aspect of role-playing that is critically underserved. And I understand why, because it is not attractive. It doesn't give us that adrenaline bus that just getting a numerical upgrade does. Yeah. That sounds um, fascinating, though. I would totally play a game that does that. Yeah, well, there's, a, there's a high tinsel, uh puzzle game that revolves around skipping in time forward and backwards to uh, capitalize on the strengths of your companions at different points. That sounds really fun. I'd say in if you if you play Disco Elysium, there's you don't have much of a power increase for your character in that game. And actually, if you play in a, in a certain way, you might face more challenges. Oh yeah, Disco Elysium like, is, is great uh, about that. Like especially if you play the Super Star Cop style, then you're gonna <laughs> run into trouble. It's an amazing game. It's uh... It's, it's 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 if you haven't played it, dear listener, give it a look. Does that though? Then I think part of the problem with the whole concept of I almost I parenthesis I almost kind of agree with you. I think part of the problem is that RPGs, when you adopt that philosophy that a role playing game has to have character progression, then you also get the negative of that, and you get that people who look at it and they're like, oh well. I don't want to have to grind. I, I grinding is not something I'm interested in doing. Um, why do I have to? Why is there a level? Why is there a, 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 an amount of time I have to put into a game before I can experience certain parts of the game? I think that's a matter of pacing, though, more than more than um, just having a system of of leveling. Like, I mean, let's take Pillars for instance. I've I have played through that game several times, and I've never considered any part of that game a grind i mean you know there there are certainly some combat gauntlets and whatnot that can maybe get a little tedious at times yeah. it's a flaw but it's uh, yeah. yeah you progress you progress in power by progressing yeah through story it's it's very smooth uh if you don't take into account the 
uh, expansion that came, then that's that kind of throws the whole uh, level. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thing away, but the expansion in Pillars One is like the best part of the game. The two expansions is so it, good. It's like it's like in a way spiritual successor to Icewind Dale. Oh man, I never put that together, but yeah, you're totally yeah, right. I I get Icewind Dale feelings feels so much for for from those expansions. Uh, Pillars Two then. Uh, I have mixed feelings. I I don't like that game has like one central point where you all always visit like Nekataku. I I yeah kind of like some sort of linearity in a game, uh, not forced, but I don't have like this kind of a second sandboxy thing. The uh, ships were a mistake. It is definitely a different sort of style of. Of, of exploration where you it's almost like you have like this sort of home base right that you that you keep coming back to in the form of nekataka and then you sort of branch out in different yeah. directions and like yeah, if, there's no there's no like you said there's no real linear path to follow necessarily aside from the general sort of northeasterly um thrust of the game but and I've definitely encountered um, portions of that game where like, oh, whoops, I accidentally wandered into a place that's like too high level for me. I guess I'm just going to die. Yeah. <laughs> I, I agree mostly with what you said, though. Like in a more linear RPG, like pretty much any Final Fantasy game, I would say, um, when you have a, a long grind to go through, that's more of a pacing issue, and that's a that's a problem on the the developer side. Like that's that's an undesirable part of the game for I think most people. I don't think anyone really ever looks forward to grinding for the most part. <clears throat> it's better to it's better to progress your character while getting achievements along the way, be it through story or just any other kind of progression. But so as a former competitive Pokemon player, I can say that grinding can be fun if it's if it's done with a specific goal in mind that isn't just get stronger. Like in uh, in Pokemon specifically, like um you know, you're when you when you're training up a team um for for the competitive side of the game um grinding can actually be kind of fun because it's like you have to sort of keep count of okay you know I, i've got to get these specific evs i've got to go you know get these moves from from this place and like you know go to the go to the like battle tower and like you know it can be a journey in and of itself i don't think that pokemon really does a, a super good job with that um but it, it's it's almost like relaxing in a way to just be able to sort of veg out for a while i understand that i understand that i that that is a that's a form of grinding that kind of bleeds into resource management because yeah yeah and that that i can understand but a lot of times grinding equals out to i just want to get this skill up or i just want to level up over right and over and over again and and that's that, that is, no that's poor that's poor game design in my opinion <laughs> but um i think i think good grinding takes the form of resource management like you said with uh, getting this particular eevee or whatever 
but um i, I mean i would look to again like morrowind for good grinding where it's like you want to get up your alchemy skill so that you can create you know the brain steroids the intelligence potions that <laughs> yeah. make stronger spells and stuff like that 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 is unarguably grinding but it's grinding that is a little bit more deeper than just doing the same thing and kind of tearing your brain off it's specifically collecting resources to make something that you can sell so you can buy more so you can make more so eventually you can get to the point where you can actually do something well, it's like character building basically yeah exactly and that 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 feels a little bit more organic than just running around fighting the same stuff over and over again true true so I want to bring up another thing that I, I was reading and I found this really interesting, um, almost a little jarring. Um, I mean, we know kind of we can. I mean, yes, uh, role, modern role playing games uh, have kind of sprung from that D&D uh, style play, the whole um, tabletop revolution in the late 70s and 80s, you know, that choice uh, choose your own adventure books became popular then, too. But um, I think it's interesting because I could, there's a statistic I'm about to give you that is jarring, but um, there was a game, I don't remember when it came out, it was a tabletop game called Fate. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of Fate or oh, played yeah, I've heard of Fate. I haven't, I haven't played it, but. Yeah, so Fate, one of the things I liked about Fate was there was, well, there really was no fixed setting traits or genre, really. It was fully customizable. Um, it, it offered like a minimal obstruction to role playing, uh, assuming that the players wanted to make fewer dice rolls, that kind of thing. It was kind of the opposite of what D and D was, whereas D and D really was grained in that that fantasy, the the Tolkien kind of world, um, the Middle Earth. IGN had a article a little while ago where they went through. They started in 1975. Uh, with a game called D&D. It was um, on the Play-Doh platform, which I don't even know what that is, but I assume that was a type of computer. Um, and then they went, computer. yeah, they went through uh, from 1975 all the way to the present and looked at every role-playing game title that was released either for um, uh, a computer system or a console system. And they came up with a statistic. And the statistic was that 87% of those role-playing games were fantasy. Sounds about right. 87%? I'm surprised by that. <laughs> I'm surprised. I mean, what does that mean, though? Does that mean that to be an RPG, that's a necessarily requirement? Is no, that the only certainly not? No. I, I think it's just I think it's just that that's sort of the road that was already laid out, you know. That and I think that the I, I think that the fantasy genre just sits better with RPGs than most others because there's you don't have to worry about a lot of realism. There can be dragons, there can be witches, there can be boob armor, there can be whatever. You it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't have to be hard realism and with sci-fi i would argue that you usually have to ha have a little bit more reasonable stuff in there but with fantasy whatever you can't quite explain by normal physics you can just throw in magic and suddenly everything else is a little bit more lenient with what is acceptable you know? I, I i just think that it leans better towards uh rpgs lean better towards fantasy because there's more creative freedom i would say if you 
if you role play uh, uh if you try to role play in the real world what you get is a reality tv show <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and no, no one wants to play jersey shore the game like right nobody wants to role play a wall street uh economic person i guess um but like i mean i don't Actually, know it's an old joke that in in in, in fantasy role-playing games you often encounter a group that is playing i don't know apartments or an accountants or yeah 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 sort of thing. I, i've seen it several times it's a trope at this point yeah it's wonderful it's a uh, oh god I, i'm trying to remember the name like there's a tv there's a whole like tv tropes article on it i think so what about here's a, here's another uh, curveball i'm going to throw at you um is the sims a role-playing game or just a simulation game Ooh, um, it's it, not the role it depends playing game. on how you play it, and depends entirely on how you play it. You can yeah. turn it into a role playing game with how you how you make your sims, how you choose to play them. But if maybe you're, if you're the type of player that just drops them in and plays God and basically just moves stuff out of their way every now and then, but watches them, then I would say that's just simulation more than. I mean, that's just an ant farm, basically. Yeah, maybe you should look at it from the point of view. What's the what was the original purpose of the game, and not the how it's possible to be played. And it's of it. It wasn't definitely uh, made to be an RPG. Yeah, I think I think JJ has the right of it. It it is it it, it straddles the fence between the simulation and and role playing game, and it's the uh, it's the user that t tops it uh, into either category. So yeah. there are games that can be either or. Then, definitely. Oh, I mean, I mean, I mean. Look at uh, say Crusader Kings. You can play that game as an optimization problem, or you can play it as a, a strategy game that also has role playing elements, a strategy role playing hybrid. I think that when you try to when you try to um, genre a game, um, my philosophy on it is this: you have to sort of listen to what question the game is asking you and i think with an rpg the questions are this who are you how will you change the world and how will the world change you and i think that i think that games that aren't rpgs can ask those same questions absolutely but i think that a lot of those other games um sort of add questions that blur it into you know that blur the lines into another genre so like for instance if you're playing like an rpg shooter kind of game that then it's those same three questions but also how good are your reflexes how good is your aim you know that sort of thing um and you know there are definitely other uh genre blurs that add other questions to that like say for instance sort of uh like fire emblem type games you know how good is your head for tactics, you know? Um, but I think at the very core of it, what defines an RPG are, are those three questions. You know, who are you? How are you going to change the world? And how is the world going to change you? Yeah, I agree. And uh, I mean, honestly, I, I think that a lot of times the, the hard rules that people put on what is and is not an RPG is a little bit unfair, though. Because, like, I mean, you could look at Skyrim. And yeah, Skyrim doesn't have as much... 
versatility or quite as much player freedom when it comes to how you want to align yourself like with uh, definitely with morrowind i mean there are the great houses and then there are guilds that parallel the great houses and stuff like that but at the same time people will say that skyrim isn't an rpg because there's no stats other than health magicka and stamina and i disagree with that i think that the perk system more or less tries to take the place of attributes and derive stats and stuff like that just because um it essentially it just it, it's a stand-in i mean you in oblivion and i believe in morrowind if you get your uh particular skills up to a certain level 25 50 75 100 you get essentially the exact same perks that are present in skyrim oh yeah oblivion gives you the goofy backflip <laughs> exactly exactly i missed that backflip but <laughs> too but it, it's all about trying to interpret progression within a game and most people are used to stats and level ups and stuff like that and i think that those are great ways to interpret it but i think that if someone tries to put a different spin on it like with a per- just a pure perk system i think that that works out just fine too um and honestly it, it, i think it actually helps you better grow your character in a lot of ways but um a lot of people just don't like it by default because there's a form of depth that's removed. Yeah, or at least apparently, you know, at, at first blush, there certainly is. And I, I agree that it's not as deep as, you know, as prior games have have, have made similar systems. Yeah. It's definitely hard to say for some games are they RPG or not, but I'm going to throw another curveball here and say that in... In this, in the scope of this podcast, it's definitely easier to say which games are definitely RPGs that we all agree on. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So that brings me to how I want to kind of wrap up the discussion. Um, is I, I would this? I'm going to put you. I'm going to pin you to the wall here, and I'm going to make you do something you don't want to do, and I know you don't want to do it, but too bad. So what I'm going to make you do is you have been given, we're going to go back to that dumb analogy I used at the beginning that you've gone to another planet and you're explaining what a role-playing game is. Um, you're going to leave that planet, but before you leave, you're going to pull out a game from your jacket and you're going to give it to them to play so that they understand what a role-playing game is. What is that game that you pull out and hand to them? One game. I know that's tough because you kind of have to think about it a little bit. Like, wait, if I'm using, because the point isn't your favorite game. I'm not talking about one that you really liked. I mean, uh, I'm talking about your responsibility. You are an ambassador. You are an ambassador for role-playing games and you are trying to give a game to this culture that doesn't really understand the concept um, and you want them to play it and you want them to, after they're done with it, to be able to say, oh, I get it. Okay. All right. So throw throwing it out there. Anybody want to say a game? I would give them Disco Elysium. I, I think it contains the core of what I consider to be a, a good RPG, but also one I would I would like to see more of. I mean, in our our world and our timeline, we have seen that games RPGs have evolved from the from war games, chain mail, D&D, and so on. And there is this enormous focus on combat as the main uh, 
conflict resolution systems. And I, I would really like to see what a culture could do with one that has, is more focused on different problems, investigative problems, social problems, instead of just combat. I like that, especially from yeah, yeah. a social engineering standpoint. <laughs> it's definitely something that if there you if you gave that game to aliens, they would learn so much about humanity. Yeah, it also definitely. has some very very esoteric stuff in the game, also that you might not <laughs> understand understand if you didn't know about those things. Any other games that somebody wants to throw out there? I'm well, leafing through my Steam catalog right now. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I, I I looked briefly at my games list and I I found my answer immediately. Um, so for for me, I would want to communicate in general what RPGs are. I would try to find the game that best describes it, rather than just a really good RPG. I don't know. Uh, but basically, I'm looking for a game that has player choice. A form of progression, consequences for actions or inactions, multiple resolutions, but also I'm, I'm looking for the same downsides that most RPGs share. So most RPGs, I, I find most RPGs do not have that engaging of a combat system. I usually find that's pretty wonky, you know? Sure. So I would give them Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Yeah. That's a great choice. Good. Yeah, because the, the, the combat in that game is clunky and wonky as hell but at the same time it's great with the dialogue and the sense of humor and just the the, the immersion alone I, I i think that game probably has the best soundtrack for its world than any other game i've ever played so i i, I think that's what i would have to go with ultimately wow that's a good choice i like that one anybody you want to throw okay there i've got mine um i think i've got mine at least and it's kind of the the game that really got me into um, pen and paper RPGs in general. Um, and that's Neverwinter Nights 2, plus all of its DLC. <laughs> because Neverwinter Nights 2, the base game, is very, I'd say, vanilla D&D uh, RPG, you know, uh, party building. And, and you know, the, the storyline is it, it, the storyline's pretty good in general. Um, it's nothing groundbreaking, but it's a great place to start for uh, someone just getting into RPGs. And then Mask of the Betrayer, the DLC, or well, I guess it's not, not a DLC, an expansion pack. Uh, God, that's an old term now, isn't it? Um, Mask of the Betrayer, I still maintain, is one of the best RPGs of all time. Straight up. No, you know, no mincing words. It is a feat of storytelling it is absolutely incredible and it accomplishes atmosphere building like no other game i have seen before or since uh you're in this very strange land with these very strange customs um that you just sort of have to take in stride um there you know there are things happening around you that you that you don't understand there are things happening to you that you also don't understand, but you need to like the driving force behind the game is understanding this curse that you've been left with, how it works and whether or not you want to feed the curse or, um, you know, risk harm to yourself by not feeding it. It is an incredible, incredible experience. And if anyone out there uh, is listening and has not played it, 
you are in for an absolute treat. Excellent choice. I totally agree with that. Um, so let's see, what else do we have? Any, any others that come yeah. to mind? Yeah. I, you know, I'd say pillars one. Oh, there well, you yeah. go. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say because it's, it's the CRPG that I've most, most enjoyed. Uh, it's, it treads a very fine line about how much you can define your character and play with it and how much the game defines who your character is. Uh, you're being told that you're the watcher, uh, but most of the game, the the uh, answer behind why you are the watcher is it's a mystery and it it's only revealed at the end. And so most of the role playing that you do is what you chose your character to be. I usually like uh, put a lot of restrictions to how I can play the game as in my, uh, in my character and it sometimes creates very uh, weird but interesting uh, storylines. It's always fun imposing sort of um, extra uh, uh, um, conditions upon how you're playing the game. I, I I have a lot of fun with that too, especially with pillars. So I'm going to say something that is going to elicit some groans. I'm I'm certain that it will, but but hear Bring me out. Hear me out. Hear me out. I have Bring a reason. On. I have a reason for saying it. If I was going to leave one with them, I would leave World of Warcraft. But they'd be the only ones playing it, Sora. No, well, no, no, no. I would Unless leave they have it in interplanetary a... internet. Yes, Sora. yes. I would teach them about uh, Ethernet, and uh, <laughs> that would be part of the whole lesson. Let me tell which, you why. Which expansion though. or no expansion? Well, yeah. I don't. I don't know if I was going to. I mean, I would definitely do like um, one of the classics. Uh, what was the Blood Elf one? Burning um, Crusade. Yeah, probably that one. But let me Good tell choice. you let me tell you why. The reason is not necessarily because it is a, you know, oh, it's this this great game and and it while it is, I mean, you can't argue its impact, but I think it's a different type of role-playing game in that it really puts the onus on the player. I feel like there are two, there's well, that's I don't want to narrow it down, but there's different types we've talked about of role-playing games. This is one of those games where it really pushes you to to bring stuff to the table in that, um, yes, I'm going to play a night elf and my night elf is going to be called, I don't know, um, Yasmin or whatever. I don't know. And But I develop the backstory. I have to bring that personality to the character. I have to define my character. And I get to interact with other people who have taken on that other responsibility and they are going to bring something different to that um, uh, mage than the other person would have brought to the mage. So it's kind of like that putting that onus and that responsibility of role playing onto the person and, and taking a little less off of the game. And that and that maybe that wasn't intentional when it was created, but by leaving that amount of freedom, if you were to say, for example, play World of Warcraft on a traditional role-playing server, you know what I mean. I mean, people are, their backstories are pages long. They, yeah. they tie it to the lore. They really woven themselves into the fabric of the game um, in, in a very unique way. So that's the one that I would leave them in addition to leaving some ethernet cable uh, so they could <laughs> do what they needed to do. 
I I think that I think that MMOs are a very you're right. They're a very different creature from a classic role playing game. Like you say, you know, you take EverQuest or something, and like man, people get way into role playing in those games. I've never really been able to to ride that wave myself. I don't know why it just it doesn't come naturally to me, but. I, I totally understand the potential for it because it, it really is just giving you, I mean, laying out this entire world in front of you and just saying, okay, go nuts, be whoever you want to be. Yeah, it's, it's very nice. You have to be proactive on these games. And uh, many times the in those games, you aren't anyone special. In, in, if you play CRPGs, most of the time you're someone really special, like Watcher or whatever. Uh, That's true. Or something, but in wow you you're just some basic dude who can do something something very basic and the only way you're gonna be powerful if you join others i think mmos can be hilarious sometimes when they try to make it so that you know a quest has you be like the chosen one or something and meanwhile there's like 50 other chosen ones just hanging out that's that's the horrible latest expansions yeah, that's that's why I it's taken me so long to get into ESO just because yeah. you're the chosen one, but there's like five other chosen ones jumping up and down like idiots <laughs> around me. So yeah, it makes no kind of takes me out of the moment. Uh, I would I would say um, that, that game I mentioned earlier, Project Gorgon. Um, if you guys are really into MMOs with uh, potentially extremely heavy RP elements, that game is incredible. Um, just lower the graphics. They're already really bad, but it's horribly, horribly optimized. So, um, yeah. So I wanted to, uh, we're going to wrap up today with a couple of questions. We've gotten some emails and thank you again for sending the emails. If you want to respond, um, if you, well, well, there's two things. If you want to, um, just send a general email with suggestions or questions or things like that, just, uh, avowed cast at gmail.com if you want to respond to the minecraft statement put minecraft in the subject oh no you're really and doing then it to the i'm going to forward that to um uh jed mandu so he can take all 46 of those emails yeah, all his, right bring them on his email box so uh we got two that i'm going to pull from today two questions first one is from hillary Hillary sent in an email and it was a very simple question, but I thought it's interesting to talk about maybe a little bit since many of us have experience with these games. Um, And basically there's a big exclamation, like five exclamation points at the end. (laughs) Um, Why is Pillars 2 so much better than Pillars 1? That's a loaded question if I ever heard one. It Uh, is. Pillars do this something's much better than pillars one one thing is multi-classing uh, uh maybe maybe graphic fidelities definitely yeah, yeah. yeah like character models are way improved what do you think she's referring to i mean i i assume that it's i i would assume that it's not something very simple i would ass- i've have heard pillars one is harder to get into um, and that for some reason, Pillars 2, people jump in and, and quicker, and it seems yeah. to pull them into the, the world a little faster. I don't know if that's because it's maybe a little easier at the beginning of the game. Um, I don't maybe. know. 
I mean, it is, and also there's much more restrictions, especially like abilities that you have to camp to regain some abilities. Yeah. Uh, in POE 2, that's uh, only some abilities, like most of abilities you can uh, do on every encounter. I think, um, I think Pillars 2, so just speaking to my experience, okay, I actually finished Pillars 2 before I ever finished Pillars 1. Um, I did it in like, in like a couple weeks. Um, and I, you know, at that point I had started and stopped pillars one, probably like four times. Um, I think that the difference is, I mean, straight up just the pacing pillars two. I mean, you hit the ground running and it gives you a very solid incentive to like, you know, go after, uh, Aethys and like, you know, uh, and and you feel empowered to do it like the story is very clear yeah yeah pillars one uh, i mean hits you with several what i would call bummers storytelling wise very early uh things are very much darker in pillars one for one thing uh at least early on in the game um and i i think you hit the nail on the head with the with the resting mechanic um that really slows things down in in the first game, um, whereas Pillars Two, it, it's it's just a smoother experience overall. Honestly, like you know, do you you can progress faster? Do you, you don't have think, to wait around. But do you think? Um, I don't know. I mean, the why is the part of the question. Like, it almost makes the assumption that the developer and the people making the game, it almost is making the statement that pillars two is a different game even though it's from the same lore well i, mean, I don't it is a very different game i think i, I, well, I, I think it's i think yeah i think those oh, games seem very different especially if you played the second one before the first one because it, the second one is a it's a straight continuation from the first one yeah but i think i think as a game not necessarily as a story it's 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 very different. Uh, the pacing of, of gameplay is very different. I honestly think that Pillars 1 is better written. Pillars yes, 2, I, yeah. I, I enjoy Pillars 1 so much more. Like, I think I just, maybe it's just me, but I like the atmosphere much more. Yeah, I, I get that. I mean, Pillars 2 has its charm for sure. Don't get me wrong. I love, you know, being a freaking ship's captain and, and you know, going around having pirate battles and shit. It's yeah. great. But, um, but I think the ship management is one layer too much yeah. on the game. And also, like, in Pillars 1, the your own castle was something that it's just a waste of money putting anything there. Pretty much. I, I, I think... Um, so I don't, I don't necessarily think that Pillars 2 is overall a better game than Pillars 1. But, but, as, but like... I can't choose between them, you know. They're, it's like it's like asking to pick a favorite child or something. I, I can. <laughs> <laughs> I like them both. Yeah. Um, you, you, you know, I, just in that fire. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah you can, and that's amazing. It's, it's okay. actually dawned to me on this podcast that uh, they actually tried to make this Fallout New Vegas gimmick on. Uh, the pillars too with Neketaka and the factions and how you get the different ending, how oh, you yeah. choose them. I hadn't thought of that. That that definitely is very 
New Vegasy. But um, but yeah, actually, that's something that I kind of didn't like about New Vegas. I I find these faction medals a bit tiresome. That, but you also had that yeah. Poe one uh, in the uh, the big big city uh, at the mid- in the middle of the game. Oh, with the Crucible Knights and the uh, and the Dungeons. Yeah. yeah. I would almost argue that um, Hillary, if I'm addressing your question, I would almost argue that the that and I know this, not everybody's going to agree with this, but I would say that the reason Pillars 2 is so much different, maybe not necessarily better, but I think that it's different in that they um, looked at the first game and tried to make the game maybe a little more mass appeal. And meaning that there's more people out there that would be uh, that would play that game and, and immediately be taken by it. Whereas I think the original Pillars, Pillars 1, is definitely Baldur's Gate, uh, uh, Icewind Dale type. Uh, it just, it's slower, harder, yeah. um, and it's a, it, is, it is different. It is a different yeah. experience. The, the funny thing it's is, like, it's, a, like a, it's, it's like a passion project, you know, because yeah. it was crowd, crowd sourced that you really, really wanted to make it the game, and it was a uh, it was a combination of Icewind Dale type of lots of action, lots of battling, but also uh, uh, torment style, lots of text. Yes, uh, I've heard then, I've heard the term yeah. walls of text bandied about for Pillars One, especially. Yeah, it's but I didn't mind that as much, and I understand why people, I understand why people do. But then those are the same people who go and play. Um, one of those Nintendo games that have like, I keep hitting the A button like 50 times because there's so <laughs> much text, but, um, and that text is meaningless. Whereas in the pillars it's story driven. It's, it's really good stuff. But anyway, that, that, uh, thanks for the question, Hillary. Really appreciate it. I have another one from someone named Zanti. I hope I pronounced that right. Um, Zanti says 2020 is the worst. I agree with that. Yes. Um, I'm yeah, looking I'm looking for that's the I'm looking <laughs> for a good funny RPG to play to take my mind off of the hell. Do you have any suggestions? I, I'd say disco, disco Elysium. Right. Yeah, it's witty as hell. Yeah, that's a good uh, one. It's, Will it's Disco funny. Elysium make you feel better though? It, it depends um, on you how how you play it. You can if you play a superstar a cop, then maybe. All right, that's fair. Yeah, that's but fair. it also has a, a level of catharsis for some of the more serious stuff, I think. Uh... I mean, I'd say Fallout New Vegas, honestly. I, like, when I think of a funny RPG, like, sure, there's, you know, there's dark shit in, in Fallout, obviously, but it's got a hell of a sense of humor. And maybe the Fable series, if you haven't played that, just, you know, leave off after two. But if yeah. you if you want to take control of the, all the bad things that happen, you can also play tyranny. Play what? Uh, tyranny. Oh yeah, oh, tyranny. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it it doesn't exactly paint a uh, uh you know cheerful picture at least at first. Yeah. But... <laughs> I I I still have to play make a playthrough with where I go rogue. I need to um. I need to try that game again, to be honest. It's been a long time. 
Yeah, I, I would say if you want a funny game, go ahead and just play New Vegas, Fallout 3, and Bloodlines. And if you want like a really, um, or and also Fable. But if you want just like a, like a good game, just to get immersed in and forget about everything else, then uh, Oblivion uh, is always funny. Yeah. yeah, unintentionally sometimes. Yeah. But yeah. Oh my god, yes. Um, oh, yeah. and I've also heard really good things about Nino Kuni, um, if you're in oh, the RPGs. Yes. Um, yes. Super cheerful in general, and like just uh, it's just nice. It's just a nice place to be. It's Studio Ghibli, I think, um, animated. Yes. Yeah, I, I really want to play that one. Also, Kingdom Come. Kingdom Come is a good one to get lost in. The original Sen games are honestly kind of hilarious. Very uh, lighthearted. Yeah. I mean, they can, but the thing is, I've heard that this is just a Belgian thing. It's a sense of humor, like a cultural sense of humor thing where it can swing very wildly from, haha, we're all having fun to, oh, everyone's dead and everything is blood and gore and oh no. Yeah. And even if you, I mean, even games like Dragon Age, there's certain ones where if you really dig into the your companions and their discussions and they try to weave in some some funniness into it, but it's it's always comes with that like Jed Van D was saying, it always kind of comes with that uh the darkness at the same time. So um I think those RPGs try to be sort of this complete experience, you know? Like they they, they try to paint with every color a lot of the time. Ungrateful unloving creature i should let the maw of the dead fire close around you pray to another god that you sail faster than my wrath and that's gonna end our podcast today i want to do a quick shout out to two of the people on our podcast who do who are active on social media uh first is jed mandu um jed mandu has a amazing twitch channel i highly recommend it um, he talked a little bit today about his playthrough of Baldur's Gate 3 Early Access, and he has a full uh, slew of videos up now uh, consisting of his playthrough, several hours worth, and they're really good. Um, so if you want to find Jed Mandu on Twitch, it's twitch.tv forward slash Jed Mandu, which is J-E-D-M-A-N-D-U. Highly recommend that. Also, um, Jesse has activity on twitter he is uh at todd is my mom if you want to look up his posts on twitter he also has this really cool reddit area uh that i've been looking into lately where he's kind of creating this um project yvonne this kind of uh world where he's constructing this world and if you're interested in looking at denim and I'm probably mispronounced that, but it's D-I-N-U-M. If you go to Reddit and look up D-I-N-U-M, you will see what Jesse has been putting together, and it's fascinating. Uh, the amount of lore and introductions that he's already created for this, this world is pretty fabulous. So I highly recommend checking out both of them. You can also look up Avowedcast on Twitter. We're at Avowedcast. And, of course, you can reach us through the email avowedcast at gmail.com and we do have a website avowedcast.com if you're interested in learning more about us uh, the people behind the scenes and remember that you can also participate in our podcast in a number of ways you can shoot us an email with questions comments stories 
experiences you've had with games, respond to something we've talked about in a podcast, um, and we'll throw your suggestions or thoughts on the air next time we come on. Um, you can also reach us uh, by either sharing uh, an audio file that you've created or um, doing something via Dropbox. Um, we're open to pretty much any kind of uh, suggestions you want to make. Um, we also have a um, voicemail phone line if you want to contact us that way. And our voicemail phone number is 202-810-4223. And we'd love to hear from you in any possible way that you can contact us. We appreciate the support we've been getting from listeners. We've gotten quite a few emails in the past week. Um, and we're growing and we love that. We love that this is a fan community podcast. This is really exciting what we're building here for Avowed, this future game from Obsidian. For the first time in a long while, I feel truly confident in where I'm going, what I'm doing. With you, I mean. And we're going to leave you today the way we always leave you with some music from uh, Pillars 1, Pillars 2 franchise. Um, we always refer to the musical genius of Justin Bell. Uh, his work is amazing. Um, you can find it on Spotify or any other music sharing service. Um, but if you would, take a moment um, and think back to your own adventures and your exploration of the world of Aora. And lean back, close your eyes, and get lost in the music. Music.